I'd love to talk about some of the cool uses you've seen for basement spaces. I mean, we had someone come and bid out a bat cave, a genuine <laughs> bat cave in their basement. What? Yes. <laughs> Didn't he call it the bat cave? Yeah, he did. He did. That's um, cool. <laughs> Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes. Sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. In this episode, we head to the lower level of the home. Paul Hamtel with Hamtel Construction and Tony Pratt from The Sound Room join us to consider everything you need to know about the basement when building your home. Enjoy! A home for hobbies, failed or successful, man caves, playtime, and more than just a bare concrete space, the basement or lower level is one of the spaces in a home where people feel free to get very personal and very creative. From a drive-in motorcycle garage, bowling alleys and golf simulators to full-scale fitness centers, we've actually seen and built them all. And Melody, as we wrap up our uh, tour of the home this season, we have to pay attention to the basement. And as we're going to learn soon, there's a reason we really should be calling it the lower level. But we're going underground. We are. We're definitely going underground. You outdid yourself with some of the writing for these <laughs> next two episodes, Melody. Thank I got to tell you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but no, it is an, it's very important because we are doing a lot of designs. Clients can't necessarily afford to finish the basement right now, so they're going to come back later and do it. Or maybe you built a home several years ago and finally figure out now's the right time. So it's a very important space to finish because it gives you a lot of added functional space for the home as well. Absolutely. And Paul is such an expert in this area too. So we'll get some really good stuff from him. Yeah. You, you mentioned Paul. We're talking about Paul Hamtel with Hamtel Construction. He is going to be one of our guests. And then a little bit later on, we're going to be talking with Tony Pratt of The Sound Room. Tony is kind of our go-to when it comes to audio visual and, and some of the cool equipment. So it'll be fun to talk with both of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, I've got to tell you, I am really big fans of you and your brother, David. We've known each other now for, boy, it's more than 10 years. We met at the HBA yeah. several years ago. Always been a fan of how you run your business, the quality of your construction. You're one of the better contractors when it comes to additions, renovations. And I have to believe that includes a lot of basements, doesn't it? Well, thanks, Kim. The feeling is definitely mutual and feel lucky to count you among a great colleague of mine as well. And we do renovations that span from kitchens, bathrooms, and certainly to basement finishing as well. Most of our work is remodeling. A lot of times when our clients are designing their home, the budget doesn't allow them to finish the basement right away, but they certainly want to finish it down the line. So let's start high level. What are you seeing people doing in their basements that is pretty common and maybe some things that are a little unusual? I would say that, first of all, when we interact with our clients about finishing a basement space, we like to approach that even from just a very simplistic level of you know addressing that as a lower level finishing. And the reason that we do, we do call it a lower level versus a basement is that lower levels are meant to be an extension of the home, and that can be carrying details that exists in the other parts of the homes down to the basement, you know, having connectivity between the spaces from 
first floor to the lower level or even from the lower level to the outdoor space if that is available to them. So that theme has never changed. We've always kind of felt like a basement as a lower level kind of speaks more to the fact that it's a part of the home. So I'd say that for us, because we are coming in to just address that space solely and it's not part of the whole home construction package, we're really drilling in a lot to the needs of each individual client. And those needs can vary greatly from just space for their kids to hang out and have their friends over and watch a movie to a fully custom media center to a place where they can store their collectibles for sports memorabilia to uh, the need for maybe a guest room for a a mother-in-law to stay in, home gyms, office spaces, all of those ideas can be on the table when we start to interact with our clients and really just looking at how do we customize that lower level space to be best suited for their needs and their family situation. If you're not going to finish off your basement initially, is there something that you would recommend someone think about instead of just having a blank gray box whenever you pick them? When you build a custom home and if you don't have that ability to finish that space off, it certainly warrants some consideration and perhaps some investment into maybe a master plan or just some just some thinking or conversation about what will this space potentially be down the road if it's five years down the road or 10 years down the road? How do we envision maybe we would use that? And I think that that could dictate some of those questions such as where might we think about placing an egress window? Where might we consider placing the sump pump pit, you know, where might we think about putting a floor drain or HVAC? And I know that those items maybe sometimes just have to go where they have to go. And there's not a lot of discussion about moving or placing or building around them. But I think it's a, this is, it's a good conversation to have with your builder. And I'm sure, you know, as you move forward with your clients as well, that's a conversation worth touching on that, you can be uh, fruitful for down the road in the future. You bring up a good point. I mean, everything from the the location of the plumbing to the steel columns to, you know, just your steel I-beams, we are, at least from from our perspective, when we're planning to build a custom home, even if they aren't going to finish the lower level, we do have them at least um, work with the architect to think about the possible finish and, and where sure. these are going to go. But you're walking into some situations where you don't have the ability to have had that forethought. And I think it's important to let people know that just because you might not have your your rough-in plumbing in the right location. Maybe you need an egress window. Maybe you want, you know, a full walkout. Mm-hmm. You as a as a renovation contractor can take care of all that, even though it might not have been planned the first time. Sure. Yeah. To some extent, there are limitations. Some of the conversations that we have about systems and about elements of the home that are very difficult to address those can be taken off the table fairly quickly as a budgetary consideration. But as you talk about finishing an existing basement, some of those elements that could be given some thought to up front are large ticket items such as HVAC. And as we go into homes, a lot of times on a two-story home, there might be one or two systems that are in existence. We're probably talking about adding maybe a potentially completely separate system for just the basement uh, or just the lower level. We 
maybe would be adding zoning controls to offer more comfort to first floor and not have the first floor and the lower level be completely unbalanced. So heating and cooling considerations can be looked at. I think that getting systems in place such as perhaps gas lines or if you're putting in a fireplace down the road into your lower level, you might want to look at ventilation or connecting to a flue pipe or something like that on the front end versus down the road later because it's just much easier to think about that and get that in place up front. And I'd say also, Kim, one thing that we are having a lot more issues with as we remodel existing homes is that we we usually have to, even for simple projects, upgrade electrical services. And so if you're teetering on the edge of 200 amp electrical service for a home or a 400, and what do we really need? I would say that investment to put in a bigger, more accommodating system on the front end is going to pay huge dividends down the road because we're remodeling homes day in and day out and upgrading electrical services just to meet the requirements of appliances and lighting and the required circuits that are are needed for spaces now with arc fault protection and things like that. And so usually that becomes a big cost down the road. So items like that are worth considering for sure. This podcast is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella integrated roll screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration. Allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley. Is there a basement that you've walked into and thought, you know what, this is so easy. This is the ideal condition to refinish. And this is what I wish every client would have in place. Well, for sure, there's some that are much easier than others. So access to the outdoors, walk in, walk out, that is huge. I'd say that a lot of times a deeper basement pour is very, very important to have in place if you want to do a nicely finished lower level down the road. Uh, That's a great investment. I'd say investing in a layout that works well on the front end and having a layout done that you kind of have an idea of the bones of what that space will look like and well-designed systems that don't have ductwork and piping and, and things, you know, all over the place. The more consolidation that there can be with systems, the better off you are down the road when you go to finish that space. So let's talk about finishing the space, because I think that's what a lot of people 
think about is what is this going to look like? How are we going to be able to use this space? We have actually installed, and I'm curious as far as your perspective, are you doing any radiant floor heating or is it too costly because the basement slab has already been poured? Whereas if we're doing it, we're doing it before we pour the slab. Yeah, that's that's one that we don't really do in a full basement. We do that in an isolated space, such as a bathroom mm-hmm. or a smaller area. But to go back and retrofit radiant floor heat after the fact is very cost prohibitive for most of our projects. So that's a great point that another one that could bring dividends down the road, if you're able to invest in that on the front end, no time like the present when you're building your house from the start. And it really is a great way, not only from a comfort standpoint, but just from a standpoint of the environment around you, it does make a big difference. What are some of the other flooring finishes, Paul, that you're now seeing that are are very popular? LVP, are people still doing carpet engineered? What what are you doing most and what do you think are the, are the best options? Great question. I think that when we look at spaces in a lower level, flooring is one that comes to mind as a flex item. And so what I mean by that is when we look at a lower level remodel, we might be looking at the needs of our client right now, which maybe is we just need a toy room to get all of our toys out of the living room. We really need a home office or I really need a space that I can put my workout equipment. But in some situations, thinking about flexible spaces is a good way to think about that. So maybe today's toy room is 10 years down the road, a nice sitting area or a nice crafting area. So flooring can kind of be an important factor in that regard. We do a lot of LVT. We do a lot of luxury vinyl plank. And the reason for that in a lower level is that it's economical, it's comfortable underfoot, and having hard surface flooring is usually what most of our clients prefer to have for reasons of cleaning. Maybe, again, you have that connection from the outdoors to the indoors to a patio or a pool deck that hard surface flooring is really nice there, that it's easy to clean, easy to maintain, it's waterproof, pet friendly. So we've been doing quite a lot of that versus carpet. I'd say we do carpet as a number two, and usually that goes into a space like a a bedroom or perhaps up the stairs if there's, you know, not a, a wood staircase that connects the two floors together. Very infrequently do we do porcelain or ceramic tile all throughout the basement. It just seems to be a little bit off trend for us. And wood floors, we do engineered flooring from time to time. That question really comes into play with remodeling because of vapor concerns with the concrete floor and the slab and and how that material is installed. So in some cases, we shy away from from wood floors in the lower level just for for reasons of longevity and durability. So I need you to settle an argument that I'm currently having with my husband about what type of flooring is actually going to be the best for the basement because the heating up and construction and expansion of concrete, he says tiles are going to pop up. What is the best flooring option for longevity? For longevity, I personally am finishing my lower level and I'm putting in luxury vinyl planks and I wouldn't have a second thought about it ever. So if you're asking me for my advice 
hopefully I'm taking your side. <laughs> I actually am going to record this section to play to my husband for the next time we have the argument. <laughs> Way to go, Paul. You made her day. You did. <laughs> now, if if other... my vote counts, I, I totally agree with Paul as well. The LVP or LVT is the way to go. Now, sometimes we get requests for others, such as stained concrete or different, you know, interesting materials like that. Those are more your one-off. You maybe you're doing some very custom design, and that would be fitting. But just from a generalization standpoint, LVT would be always my number one go-to. Would you take that up the stairwell? Then you were talking a lot about connecting the two spaces. What's happening with staircases? Because I always picture. You know, the 80s going into the basement, horror movie staircases when it comes to basements. <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. And that could be one where, again, an investment on the front end in a nicely finished staircase could pay off down the road that it's never going to cost less than it does today. So if you can invest in things like that on the front end, that would be worth considering. And a staircase is a great point. We look at what flooring is in existence or what maybe wood finishes are in existence on the first floor and look at what's going in the lower level. And usually with a staircase, it's either going to be a wood staircase that's perhaps stained treads and painted risers or all stained wood, or it's going to be a carpeted stair, or perhaps it's going to have a carpet runner. So as a remodeler coming into that space, the question is always, well, what wood is underneath the carpet if there's carpet on the stairs? And if you don't invest on the front end with a stain grade or a nicely refinishable material, you're taking out the treads and risers and rebuilding the stair completely to then give you that finish of a stained wood. That's obviously much more expensive to do it that way. And so the question can become budget driven, but also how do we connect these spaces well? Case in point right now in Wildwood, a client wants to finish their lower level. They have an open staircase that has no door on the bottom or top. It's carpet on the stair. They would love to make that a wood stair. However, their main level is all carpet and stained wood that would not match their preferred design style. So they would be looking at probably a big snowball effect if we were to redo their stair. So again, if that had been maybe thought about a little bit more upfront, that could be an item where they might not be facing some of that dilemma right now. So stairs are tricky, but also ceilings are tricky down in the lower level. What do you recommend down there? The typical drywall, are you seeing a drop ceiling with tile? I think one of the latest trends is, quite frankly, leaving everything exposed and painting it black. We do get requests for that from time to time. In today's lower levels that we see more engineered framing on, that question of leaving the ceiling exposed is taken right off the table because you're forced to drywall it by modern you know fire code standards so we do primarily drywall finishes on lower levels 
So we talked a lot about the technical aspects of designing the basement, but I'd love to talk about some of the cool uses you've seen for basement spaces. I mean, we had someone come and bid out a bat cave, a genuine <laughs> bat cave in their basement. What? Yes. <laughs> Didn't he call it the bat cave? Yeah, he cut? did. He did. That's um, cool. <laughs> bowling alley, golf simulator, everything. Peloton room. We just finished oh, yeah. a, a project in Wildwood, Paul, where oh, we finished the basement for them at the same time of the build, and they put a Peloton room in there. So we've seen pictures of hockey rinks. Melody's right. What have you seen? What have you done that really stands out? Uh, I've talked about a lot. What I've done, though, is... That's because the price usually comes up, right? (laughs) That is one dream killer. (laughs) Somebody has to pay for it. I mean, gosh, we've we've talked about a lot of things. Wine cellars is always a big mm-hmm. one. Are we talking something small, something big with that? Certainly talking about bars versus kitchenette spaces. Some of the cool kind of interesting things that we've had clients request, uh, safe room, you know, like a place to actually have walls that are secure and, and metal doors and things of that sort where you can kind of lock up uh, valuables. So we, we've done some of that over the years. I'd say that we built one time a, a gym that had a dance floor in it, which was <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> the client was really into bar workouts and she did you know, ballet dancing. And so we we brought in a sprung floor system from a dance floor company and installed that in the uh, in the gym with mirrors. And it was kind of a fun one to do. So that that one kind of sticks out in my head. You know, Paul, you've you've mentioned before you're a big proponent of making sure that you're well-planned, especially if you're designing a, a custom home and then maybe finishing the lower level later. But if you really do want to have golf simulators and bowling alleys and hockey rinks, those are the things you have to plan ahead because you either have to have a deeper pour, you have to have more space, more ceiling height. And so a lot of it will truly be determined by the space of that finish. And, and that may have to be pre-planned. A hundred percent. And that speaks to the idea that as I come in as a remodeler, we're working with what's already there. If the doors are there and the windows, the stairs, the plumbing rough in, other utilities are in place. Not that we can't move and rethink and relocate items, and we do that. It just becomes very tricky and cost prohibitive and in some cases just not feasible. So for sure, planning on the front end about those big items is going to pay off in the long run. So we talked a little bit about playrooms for kids. And one of the things that I've seen recently are sensory rooms with swings mounted to the floor joists. And is there anything special, you, if you wanted to create, say, an indoor playground, is there anything special you need to do to reinforce those floor joists? We've done swings on main levels of a house in certain rooms, and it has required shoring up the structure and hanging a speed bag is not quite as impactful as hanging an actual punching bag. But in a home gym, you have some of those items that we've hung up and installed. And we've always had to go back into the existing framing and shore it up, whether it's adding steel reinforcement or adding more wood reinforcement. So that is definitely something that is going to require a little bit of perhaps engineering or just some some consideration that you can't really just screw that up to the ceiling and count on it being sturdy enough to support what you want to support. So 
For sure. That those things, if you're planning it down the road, it's worth mentioning, talking about, and maybe perhaps overbuilding a little bit in that area if you have the capability to do that. Very good information. Thank you very much for that. Anything you want to add? Did we miss anything that you think our listeners might find important when it comes to finishing a basement? The only item that I would say I see a lot that we haven't talked about is what is happening beyond the basement. And usually in a lower level finishing project, if there's a walkout to a patio or if there's a walkout to an under deck area or a walkout to a pool deck, we're usually driven a lot in our design by how that space is going to flow. So even if you don't have in your budget to finish a patio or install that pool, if you think that down the road you're going to be doing that, I believe that that space is probably going to impact your lower level if it's connected to the rear of your house or connected into the lower level walkout in some form or fashion. So that can also affect the big picture planning that you're probably going to want some indoor outdoor flex space. You're probably going to want some storage area for supplies and patio furniture and things of that sort. Uh, And usually that drives the design more than one might think about. Paul Hamtel, you and your brother David do an outstanding job. Anybody in the St. Louis area, if you're looking for a dynamic duo for renovations, additions, basement finishes, please call Paul. And and of course, Melody, I know we'll put the contact information in our show notes. Yes. And if you have any questions about LVP in the basement, you need to um, <laughs> dispel any arguments, please call Paul. Paul's the man. Hey. <laughs> Paul, thank you. Seriously, it's it's been a pleasure. And I just wish you and your brother the, uh, the most success. And, and I know you're already successful. It will continue. But we thank you for joining us on uh, this edition of The Art of Custom. Well, Kim, Melody, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. And I wish you the best and would uh, like to thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home. Melody, we have a guest who's well-known to the Art of Custom podcast, Tony Pratt. He's been with us, I think, virtually every season, but he has great information always. Tony, it's nice to have you with us. Well, this is uh, always a pleasure to be here. I think this is my third one. (laughs) Yes, it is. And, well, you know, I like doing podcasting because I do it with my partner, Marla, all the time. And while we're talking about that, tell everybody quickly, what's the name of your podcast and what's it about? Actually, the name of our podcast is called Everyday Green Home. And then we get into uh, discussions, everything from sustainable construction, uh, green t- living tips, green companies, people that are, you know, we'll do interviews with people that are making a difference in making homes healthier and uh, more efficient. Like me, because I've been on your podcast before, right? 
That is correct. You have been there. Actually, you were probably the first builder we ever interviewed. You and Marla do a real nice job. So I do encourage our listeners to check out your podcast as well. You know, you mentioned the word resource. You're going to be our resource today. We're talking about theater rooms and uh, media rooms in lower levels. We just had Paul Hamtel from Hamtel Construction on. We were talking a lot about the sticks and the bricks and, you know, the structure behind the basement and some of the aesthetics. But we did not talk about the theater rooms and media rooms. And we did that on purpose because they're almost a separate area we need to focus on. I would definitely agree with that because it really is all about the experience of the homeowner. And these things can go so basic or they can go so extreme. (laughs) You just never know. And Tony, you work at the sound room. And one of the things that I was surprised by is that you actually do more than just AV. You you plan electrical layouts and Wi-Fi and things like that, correct? What we get into is more the low voltage side, which is everything from worrying about the structured wiring in the house, which is, you know, your Cat 6 lines, your Cat 7 lines, your coax lines. We get into the network of the house. So whether it's a Wi-Fi network, whether it's a structured hardline network, we get into the automation of the house, which is while we don't run the lighting, we control the lighting. But you do help plan the lighting and you help plan the outlet placement because if you're really thinking about the, the theater or the media room, you have to be that detailed to know where the lights are, where the outlets are, all that. Well, we do like to give an opinion, and sometimes it's uh, listened to, and sometimes it's not. And <laughs> when, it's, when it's not, it always ends up being an issue and a lot of challenges. Within the theater room, at one point in time, there used to be projectors hanging from the ceiling, and it seems like technology has changed recently. What are you seeing in terms of equipment that does go into a theater room today. There are still theaters that do projectors hanging from the ceiling. Your higher end, your best experience still comes from projectors. Now, I'm not saying you cannot get a good experience in a theater doing something different. That is the furthest from the case. You also see things like short throw projectors that really are only a couple feet from the wall, and they project right up a hundred some odd inch screen. These are becoming more popular because, one, they are a little less expensive, and you don't have to have a lot of the wiring when it's just all right there in a cabinet and the projector sits right on top. They're actually starting to make cabinets specially made for a short-throw projector where the the cabinet holds the projector inside and has a hole cut into the top where the lens throws out onto the screen. Those are pretty cool. We actually have one here at the showroom, so you can see it. And, you know, let's face it, regular displays are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, We have 100-inch TVs now that look phenomenal. So for somebody that doesn't want to deal with projectors and screens, they can do a wonderful setup with an 85-inch or 100-inch screen, which is really just a TV. Tony, if someone is thinking about finishing their lower level but has no idea where to start, they just know that they want a really cool media room. How do you begin? How do you begin thinking about where to locate it, the equipment, everything that goes into it? Okay, so really what you have to sit there and and do first is say, okay, what's important to me? Is it the size of the screen? Is it not seeing any of the stuff? Is it the audio versus the video side? You have to kind of give yourself a 
first place to start. And for a lot of people, it's about what they see, right? We're all visual people. So the screen starts to dictate it. Now it becomes a, well, how big of a house do I have? Is it something where this is going to have to be a multi-purpose room versus, oh yeah, I can really segment off some space in here and convert it into an actual theater. So those would be my first two things. From there, if you know you are going to do a theater, but you don't know how big to make it, that's where getting people like us involved helps because what we can do is we can tell you because we have software that will run acoustics into a space. So if you have on the blueprint, you know, hey, I want this 20 by 20 uh, room dedicated to a theater. Well, 20 by 20 is not exactly the best use of space. So if it hasn't been built yet, what we do is we plug in everything into the software and the software will automatically kind of calibrate that room size and say, well, instead of 20 by 20, have you ever thought about making it 23 by 19? I'm just randomly throwing out numbers, obviously. But then if they have that information, they can go back to the contractor, or the architect and say, hey, can you change this room to match this? So now once you have that space kind of figured out, you have an idea of what's most important then you get to start playing with the fun stuff. So you brought up uh, cabinets earlier, and you know what popped into my head is the different formats of video. So if you have a media mm-hmm. room, you're no longer popping in a DVD or a VHS tape. And so it requires streaming. And you're in a basement, which is you know within concrete walls. Is there anything special that you need to do to optimize that video quality coming in? Okay, well, first off, people still use DVDs. They still use Blu-rays all the time. Uh, We do sell movie servers where some people will store and digitally download all of their movies just like normal. So that part of the business has not gone away. While it's still a niche, because you are right, more and more people are going to streaming, it is still utilized. Plus, people still have collections of DVDs. Rarely use them except for when the internet goes down I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not talking inside the house. I'm talking the outside, you know, charter, AT&T, whoever, when their service is cut and I want to watch a movie. And if I'm just relying on streaming, I'm kind of stuck. So if a lot of these media rooms will be set up for both, they'll be set up to where they have a Blu-ray player attached to them. But the majority of the stuff they do is being streamed off of, an Apple TV player, a Roku Ultra, something, you know, some kind of a streaming device like that. So the main thing I would concentrate on is one, they will be concrete walls, yes, but they'll most likely be in a frame situation. So as you're framing that wall before you drywall it, wherever the equipment is going to be, or if you're doing more of a traditional TV in the media room, you always want to have a hardwired data connection right there. I hate relying on theaters off of Wi-Fi. I always want to be able to pull a hardwired connection to whatever is streaming. That way I never have to worry about buffering. Now with projectors, it's a little different experience versus a TV. But if it's a new TV, let's face it, all these TVs now have all the streaming channels built in. So you don't necessarily need to worry about any kind of a streaming device, but you want to have a hardwired connection to that display because it's the most dependent, safest, best experience when it comes to watching the movie. 
nobody wants to watch a movie and, and watch the grinding wheel of death pop up because it's <laughs> so if someone had to rely on wi-fi streaming uh would you recommend putting in wi-fi and cell signal boosters in the basement or is that just going overboard oh no 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 if if you are trying to live off of wi-fi for entertainment then the stronger the network the better we do everything off of uh they're called wireless access points. So basically what you're doing is it's not a booster because all a booster is is taking a signal from somewhere and then as it gets weaker and weaker and weaker and starts to degrade, now you're kind of amplifying it to extend it. So what an access point is, is it is the actual hotspot itself. So you strategically place these throughout the house and what it does is it spreads evenly and within the same signal strength throughout the house, the Wi-Fi network. So Melody's over there spending people's money by adding little... She's, she's, she's grinning. Good she's got <laughs> she's ideas, good at that. Well, I, I'm going to bring this down to a level that I'm sure a lot of people want to want to try to understand. And you know, Tony, I usually like it when you're in the studio, when we can have these conversations in person. But I'm going to put you on the spot, and I don't want to see the eyes rolling at me. Cost. And I sure. know what you're going to oh, say. Pre- you can. I'm already prepared. Well, you're prepared, yeah. But I know what you're going to say. You can spend $100,000 or more in media rooms. But I want to be realistic. For someone yeah. on a budget who wants to build a nice media room, what kind of budget should they have? And then my next follow-up question will be, what is the most anybody has spent on a media room that uh, that you guys have helped with? So what I would tell you is I would look at three realistic types of budgets based on the the personality and experience of the homeowner. So if I'm just somebody that I'm going to do this on a budget, I want a nice experience, but I'm not going to go too crazy. Okay. I would budget between $5,000 and $10,000. Very reasonable. Okay. So that is your first entry level. This could be more of a Oh, you know, a media room where it's really, you know, not just a media room. It's a media room. It's a playroom. It's a lot of everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I want to watch a movie, I'm going to go down there and watch a movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's my first tier. The second tier is, yes, it is an enclosed dedicated theater. But I'm not going to go too crazy. I want something nice, but I don't need the latest and greatest. Uh, at that point, you're probably talking about a thirty dollars to $50,000 budget. And then if you are, I got to have the latest and greatest. I need, you know, room treatments. I need acoustical treatments in the, on the walls. And, you know, I need to worry about seating and all that. The whole nine yards. Now that's when you start to get into that eighty dollars to $100,000 or more. Has anyone ever really spent $100,000 on a media room? Please tell me. Our most expensive one that we have done has been in the seven figures. Wow. That's impressive. Seven oh, figures? Yeah. Sure. Wow. You you forget, we display a two-channel system. And for all of your listeners, what is a two-channel system? A pair of speakers, a subwoofer, and the stuff to power it. And that two-channel system in that room is over six figures. So, yes, this is a niche. One or two people will spend this kind of money. The majority of people fall in that five to ten or 
30 to $50,000. So, so you notice the silence. Melody and I don't even know where to take this conversation <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so uh, on that note, I think we'll probably just thank Tony for his time, Melody. Yes. Oh. I, I feel like the media room is like the most common use for a basement space. So yeah. it's a lot of really, there's a lot of nuts and bolts, you know, that, that go into it. But it's a lot of really important information if somebody wants to successfully use their space like that. But it was good information, too. If Tony's saying realistically that if you want to enter the space and make it functional, usable, and enjoy the experience, five to $10,000 is doable for, for most people. Now, once you take the next step up, 30 to 50, it gets a little bit harder. But that's where you lost me after that. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, it's, it's rare. But then again, yeah. <laughs> at, at that point, especially when you're getting in that over $50,000 range, uh-huh. we've got one we're working on right now. The the home is under construction. Once they move in later this year, then we'll bring in all the fun stuff. I would say that one's it's it's in the seventy thousand dollar range, but we're also talking, you know, that's all the seating. So they're doing uh, the room treatment, so it's acoustically treated all around. Though it's a little less of a finish than um, some of the higher end. You know, it's still going to look very nice, and it's going to perform like it should for that price point. Right, and we've been we've been joking around about it, but I too I totally get it, understand it. It's the experience, and yep. quite frankly, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of times with friends and family in that media room, so it, it it's it's money well spent. I get it. Tony Pratt from the Sound Room. We will put your contact information in show notes, and for appearing on the podcast for the did you say third or fourth time? This is, the, uh, this is the third time. This is the third, third time. time. We'll have yep. a parting gift. Melody will mail it to you. Yeah, I was thinking like Saturday Night Live, they have like the Five Timers Club. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to get oh, you like a, a, a smoking jacket or something. I, oh, he would look great in a smoking I jacket. Know. But maybe, Tony, do you already have one? I have one, but I can always use another. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Jim, anytime. It's always a pleasure. Melody, it's always good to talk to you as well. Melody, seven figures for media rooms? I mean, you have to be a movie mogul, in my opinion, to really get the investment, the return on that investment. But That is amazing to even think about it. Now, granted, I can understand if you want to put a few thousand, 20,000, 30, 40, 50, whatever. But boy, Tony was throwing around some pretty hefty numbers there. Well, that's just <laughs> part of the basement finish. I mean, your entire basement's that's not true. going to be a theater. No. And I know a lot of our clients go back and forth <laughs> as to whether or not they're going to finish the lower level. <laughs> what does that add to your cost? Good question. No, very good question because it's obviously it's one we get asked quite often. I tell, and, and Paul would probably share the same sentiment, it all depends upon exactly how you're going to finish it, what the materials are. Is there going to be a kitchen? Is there going to be a wine cellar? I typically tell everybody that if you're looking for just a down and dirty basement finish that's functional, more space for the kids, maybe a, a bathroom and a bedroom, you're probably talking 40 to $50 a square foot. But if you're really going to go all in with kitchens and wine cellars, and, and this is excluding, of course, uh, media rooms, you're going to be hundred over over a hundred dollars a square foot. So you know, take the the area that you're going to be finishing, multiply it by those numbers. That at least gives you a ballpark on on what to expect. 
But, you know, it's not nearly as much as building the overall house because that infrastructure is already in place, right? You've got your walls, you've got your floor, you've got the ceiling for all practical purposes. So what we try to help our clients understand is maybe think about finishing some of the lower level right now with the build because it is very inexpensive square footage to finish now compared to making the the first floor or the second floor larger. Yeah, um, I, I give my husband a hard time about a lot of things, but <laughs> when we were looking, do. I do. Um, <laughs> when it comes to our house, yes. Um, when we were looking for a house, one of the things that we considered was going for a home that did not have a finished basement, mm-hmm. just so we could personalize that space a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of glad hearing these figures that we. <laughs> We, we went the route we did. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of lower levels and, and finishes and all, on our show notes, we're going to link everyone to our lower level gallery. So that'll give you some inspiration, some uh, some pictures to look at if you're thinking about uh, finishing the lower level. And uh, any other accounting or, or cleaning up that we need to do before we talk about what's coming up on our next episode? Um, please go and, and leave us a good rating. Oh, the rating. Rate and review <laughs> because we hear that's a way for us to grow. Yes. We want to continue growing. We think we have a lot of good listeners from across the country. So please do take the time to rate and review. Okay, so next uh, episode, is it really the last show for season four? It is. So we have to make it a special one. I think we have something really special in store. We're going to talk about outdoor spaces. With special people. Yes, with special people. We have a, a current client. I love those interviews. Yes. So that'll be fun. So we'll tell you her first name. It's Lisa. She's really fun. She does a nice job. So Lisa and Brenda will join us on our next episode. And you'll have to tune in and learn what Brenda's all about. But you'll enjoy the show and we hope you'll join us then. For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes, and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound with original music by Adam Frick-Ferdine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.